talking today with Oliver Bazatza from MedTech Europe on the topic of health technology assessment and focusing particularly on the impact of the recently adopted HTA regulation. Oliver, if you were to describe the EU's HTA regulation in a few words, what would you say it is and what's its purpose? Sure. So thanks, Amanda, for uh, for having us in today. So this new EU regulation was published in January of this year. It's being phased in right now over a period of three years, and it's designed to do a, a couple of things from 2025 onwards. In my view, the biggest thing it does is it lays down a legal framework for something called joint clinical assessments, or JCAs, as we call it, joint clinical assessments of health technologies at EU level. Um, health technologies, by the way, includes a few things. It includes medical devices and IVDs. It includes uh, pharmaceuticals. And it even includes things like medical procedures. So it's a fairly broad range of things. So these joint clinical assessments of health technologies are meant to help national governments uh, when those governments try to assess the relative clinical effectiveness of, um, of health technologies uh, that they select. And it does that by looking at the clinical evidence dossiers that health technology developers uh, are going to compile and submit at EU level. So it's called an EU H HTA regulation. It is not designed to replace in any way the national HTAs that the countries do with a new European HTA. But by putting these joint clinical assessments together, it's designed to reduce some of the duplicative evidence requirements and requests that, you know, cause administrative overlaps today. So when a JCA is done at the EU level in the future, the developer of the health technology, like a medical device manufacturer, will have to submit a dossier uh, containing various information laid down in the regulation. When the JCA is done, it will lead to a report and any EU member state who wants to conduct a national HTA on that product in the future will have to consider the content of the of the JCA report. And so they, they, they have to consider it and they cannot request that the manufacturer or the developer resubmit at national level the evidence that it already submitted at EU level. So they create this new thing at EU level, and once the uh, companies go through that process, they cannot be asked to uh, provide that information again in the national HTAs. So that element, the joint clinical assessments, uh, is the one I see as the most notable feature, uh, but it's not the only feature. The, the regulation also does a couple of other things. It allows for the use of EU funds uh, to finance uh, activities like joint scientific consultations, uh, for the technology developers. It allows for guidance to be developed on HTA methodologies, and it allows for voluntary cooperation on HTA between the EU member states. Um, that last one is worth noting because until now, voluntary cooperation on HTA is something the EU had been funding under the cross-border healthcare directive from 2011 and that took the form of um, things like uh, UNETA joint actions which people in the HTA world will be familiar with. So it's been doing that for the last few years on the basis of an old directive and the funding for those uh, project-based programs has now effectively dried up. So this EU HTA regulation ensures that the EU can keep funding those activities for the next few years. So joint clinical assessments, um, but also some other um, activities which can be financed through EU money. That's how I describe the regulation. 
Uh, when you speak about voluntary cooperation, is that between, say, two or three member states or is it a, a generic all member states involved? Uh, my my under good question. My understanding is it doesn't have to be all 27. It can be uh, smaller numbers, uh, and that's the piece of the regulation which um, I understand is not particularly new. I mean, for years already, the EU member states have always had ability to get together voluntarily at EU level to assess uh, health technologies. They have done so fairly infrequently for the medtech sector. There have been a couple, you know, voluntary assessments on medical devices and IVDs, but the vast bulk of them, I understand, have been done on pharmaceuticals. So this just sort of maintains that possibility, which till now for our sector, the member states haven't really done a lot with. They've done it mainly for pharma. Right. Okay. So it's moving it on more for MedTech. So my second question is MedTech Europe opposed key elements of the HTA regulation during mm -hmm. its final stages of drafting. Now mm -hmm. the regulation has been adopted with some of those key elements in. Do you feel changes are needed and are you lobbying for them? So we, we did indeed engage very actively in the legislative process for this EU regulation. Why? Because we believe very strongly that medical devices and IVDs are very, very different from medicines. And we believe that they must be assessed with quite careful appreciation for those uh, product specificities, uh, the specificities of the technologies, but also the specificities of the access pathways, because medtech reaches patients and healthcare systems in very different ways. When we engaged in the lawmaking process, we were indeed opposing any ideas that would see medtech assessed in inappropriate ways. Uh, in particular, we've always been very concerned about any proposals to blindly adopt the approaches that are used and work for pharma, because we feel that those approaches would lead to a very limited appreciation of the value medical technologies bring. And we felt that ultimately, if those pharma approaches are, are applied to medtech, it could result in quite dramatic delays uh, in access uh, to innovation for patients. Now, to answer your question, I mean, the, the good news is that um, in the end, the final agreed regulation does contain text that recognizes um, that our sector has specificities. It also you know, makes provision for that. A number of the things we uh, advocated on are ultimately not covered in the final regulation at all. Some of the very specific elements uh, are actually still to be addressed as part of the regulation's implementation. So the next three years of um, building the regulations infrastructure, adopting delegated and implementing acts, um, adopting guidance documents, etc. It's in those details that some of the you know, things we advocated on are to ultimately be decided. So the, the actual text of the regulation is uh, the first part of the story, but it's not the final part. And so we look forward to contributing to the implementation phase uh, so that we can uh, ensure that the uh, specificities of our sector are taken properly into account. Right. So there's quite a potentially quite a bit more work and quite a few more developments to come in this area. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've long argued, uh, as you say, that the HTA regulation does not reflect the specificities of the medtech sector. Can you explain this in a bit yeah. more detail and why med the medtech industry's views were not respected? Sure. So, yes, in a nutshell, we questioned, it's true, since day one, the added value of medtech being in the scope of this regulation. 
Why? Because, well, if one looks at the 27 EU member states, one sees that the access pathway for medical technology innovation is quite varied and it's quite country specific. And so when one talks about a tool like HTA, uh, it's widely used in other sectors like medicines, that's true. But today in the medtech world, um, there is very, very limited use of HTA. Some studies conclude that fewer than 1% of all medical technologies are actually subject to HTA today. So it's completely different. And in those cases where HTA is used for medtech in those countries, we see that it is used for very different purposes in the countries, uh, different points in time in the, you know, the, the technology's life cycle, and with very different impacts on patient access to innovation. Uh, you know, in certain countries, HTA is applied in ways that create significant delays for patients seeking to access medtech innovation. So that, that that's a point of concern. The other point of concern is, you know, again, there has been some 10 years or so of EU financing uh, to support HTA cooperation between member states. But our members rarely, if ever, observed much evidence that this cooperation benefited healthcare systems or that it led to more streamlined approaches for how member states finance and um, you know, take investment decisions. So because of those very concrete experiences about HTA applied to medtech, many in our industry are quite respectfully skeptical of the idea that HTA will accelerate and improve patient access if it's applied more. So um, that plus the fact that the regulation seems to add a bit more complexity and administrative burden for manufacturers makes many question whether it's really going to provide that added value. So as I said earlier, I mean that the final published legal text does thankfully recognize at a high level some of the specificities of our sector. There will be aspects of the regulations governance system that promise to be set up to, to recognize those specificities. And there will be opportunities to develop medtech specific approaches to things like assessment methodologies. So all of that is quite good at a high level, but now we want to see the details of what's really implemented. We want to see how in practice, this new EU approach will really lead to improved accessibility and predictability. The devil is always in the details as the saying goes. And if the details of this one are not gotten right, what could result we fear is not improved access and predictability, but potentially just additional layers of complexity and administrative hoops for manufacturers to jump through. So some look at our communication around this regulation and they feel that we are overly pessimistic when we raise all these doubts. And I, for one, hope that they are right these people. We want initiatives like this to succeed in ways that restore Europe's place in the world as a preferred geography for launching medtech innovations. If this regulation does that, we'll be among its um, most fiercest supporters. But for now, we believe that that is far from guaranteed. It all depends on what's in practice put in place in the next three years. Thank you for that. You did mention that um, certain countries, HTA causes delay in financing. I was wondering if you would be able to say which countries those are. I mean, one that springs to mind for me is potentially France. Yes, that's perhaps the classic example that's always raised, uh, at least for certain high risk implants, for instance, there is um, quite a systematic use of HTA, I understand, and that's really linked to um, national reimbursement decisions and the story we're often told is that even if your technology or medical device is found to be very beneficial 
you know, and, and comes with a good outcome, it actually leads in practice to that device only being financed and reaching patients on any significant scale years later than in any other countries. So even when the tool is applied and even if the manufacturer comes out with a good result, it actually doesn't lead to accelerated access. It still comes quite late. And so those, that's an example of a um, of a country where we, you know, we, we see the tool actually used quite a bit more, but it results in delay, uh, not sped right. up access. Yeah. So presumably what you don't want with the HTA re- regulation is delays on these on the, that scale. For correct, access. correct. You know, let's say if a technology developer is uh, forced to do an HTA and their product comes out with, with you know, glowing results, they should be rewarded for that. That's what we want. Uh, we don't want HTA used as an excuse not to finance uh, promising technologies. So what steps would you like to see happen next? Right. So we're at the beginning of this three year transition period, which started in January. And one of the first uh, critical things that now needs to happen is that the um, so-called member state coordination group uh, needs to be established plus its various subgroups. This coordination group is a key governing body that will implement the regulation in practice. And it's interesting, it's called Member State Coordination Group, because although this is an EU regulation where the European Commission has a role, a big chunk of what needs to be put in place will be driven by the member states, because this is so tied up with how countries decide how to allocate their healthcare budgets. So that coordination group is being set up. And we are told that there will be at least two configurations of the coordination group. There'll be a pharmaceutical configuration and there'll be at least one med tech configuration, uh, which is good. And now what we're interested to see is the specific individuals that will be appointed to represent the member states in the med tech configuration. I think it's critical that the right people are chosen for that. It's critical that these people actually know and understand our sector, that they can appreciate our sector specificities and that they will have the necessary you know, political support to ensure that the, the work conducted under the regulation you know, leads to improved efficiency, leads to improved patient access, etc. So that's you know, a first critical step, but it's happening right now. I understand the coordination group soon be composed and will have its first meeting in June of this year. Right. So there seems to be layer upon layer at the moment um, when we talk about member states being involved in this, that there is so much going on for them in terms of implementation of the regulations. And, and this is yet another layer for them to manage. It's a new European uh, structure they need to assign people to. And it's true that, um, you know, by having multiple configurations, they need to perhaps assign more than one uh, uh, person. But on the other hand, you know, this, again, this regulation applies to health technologies, which is a very broad range of things. It's not just medtech, it's not just pharma. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it requires, in my view, the involvement of people who, who understand the, the different forms that health technologies take. And do you think there are enough resources in all of the member states to to actively participate in this? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe ask me again in a year. We're soon going to see what uh, resources are brought to the table. Yeah. Uh, the European Commission and the Council of the EU say that the new rules will mean innovative, mm. safe and effective health technologies, which will be more quickly available to patients and that producers of medicines and medical devices will benefit because submission procedures will be simplified and also uh, the new rules will benefit SMEs. Which of these statements do you agree and disagree with? 
Well, we agree with the ambition, for sure. I mean, making innovative, safe and effective health technologies available to patients faster is the essence of what our sector is all about. And we do want to see the necessary steps taken to turn that ambition into reality. I would also say that, you know, aspects of that ambition are already um, being pursued via the medical device and IVD regulations, you know, as regards improved clinical evidence. Um, but, but, but turning back to the HTA regulation, you know, um, you know, key recitals of the regulation, if you read through the opening text, claim that indeed patient access is one of the regulation's goals. And uh, some of the celebratory press releases that the EU institutions put out last year when the regulation was adopted really underlined that this is meant to improve patient access. But again, that will depend on what is done uh, in, in, in practice. The reality today, just, but behind all this, is that there are various jurisdictions around the world which are continuing to leapfrog Europe's place in the world as faster, more preferred places for our industry to launch medtech innovations. Much of this is due to, you know, the complexity and uncertainty linked to the regulatory pathway that you often report about, the MDR and uh, IVDR, but but the, the access uh, side of things is also a reason why other parts of the world start to look more attractive. So it's good if the regulation is gonna try and do that, but it ha- facing a little bit of an uphill battle right now because Europe has already started to lose its the place it once had as the first launching uh, geography for medtech innovation. So the question that needs to be answered very, very quickly is will this new H- EU regulation on HTA really help uh, address the challenges that are being encountered by our sector? Will it help Europe win back its old place in the world? Or will it keep us down this path where, unfortunately, many manufacturers find themselves coming to Europe later? That's the question I would say. So when you talk about access, really, we're talking about funding and reimbursement here, which with which HTA is linked. Yeah, all the you know investments and financing decisions. Some medical technologies reach um, patients through reimbursements, some IVDs, for instance. A lot of them happen through procurement decisions as well, uh, directly by hospitals. But you know, how, however, the financing, if you like, of the medical technology is done, there's very reasonably an expectation that the value of the technology is first demonstrated and assessed. That that's that's perfectly reasonable. The question is whether HTA is the appropriate way to assess the value of medical technology. Again, our experiences of how it's done today at national level are very variable and in some countries quite negative. This EU regulation will potentially be an opportunity to lay down HTA methodologies and assessment methodologies, which are more medtech specific and appropriate, but we want to see that actually put in motion first. We talked a little bit about the role of the newly set up member states coordination group in relation to medtech and representation for medtech in that group. Can you talk a little bit more about what that group will be doing exactly when it comes to the medtech industry? Of course. So as I said before, this is one of the the aspects we're quite um, interested in right now because it's one of the first critical steps of the regulations implementation. So the member state coordination group, again, is the main governing body for the regulation. 
it'll have a key role in implementing the regulation and making it operational. The representatives that the member states can send, I mean, that, that process is happening right now, opened up a couple of months ago, I believe, and will we'll soon close. They'll have to, as 27 countries have appointed people, so that the group can have its first meeting by uh, the end of June. So we, we think the first meeting, it will reveal uh, a lot about the future direction that the member states wish to take. You know, will they, for instance, focus their work on these new joint clinical assessments, which is a novel feature of the regulation? Will they start to do voluntary collaboration on, on HTA for MedTech in ways which are greater than what they've done in the last 10 years? To what extent will they you know, develop really MedTech-specific assessment methodologies, et cetera? A lot of those decisions will ultimately come from the people that are appointed to, those, uh, to that coordination group. And the, the approaches could be potentially very different depending on whether the countries appoint HTA agencies, uh, or those in the ministries, for instance, who are responsible for getting hospitals and laboratories equipped with the products they need. You know, so a lot will depend on the individuals who come and represent the member states at that at that coordination group. And how much input do you see industry having into this coordination group? We are not members of it. There is going to be a stakeholder group or network set up where we and other you know concerned stakeholders can participate. I understand the first meeting with stakeholders is also happening in approximately June. So we, we will not, to my understanding, participate in the group as observers or anything like that, but there will be meetings between the group and stakeholders. It's a bit similar to how in the MDR and IBDR, the medical device coordination group meets with stakeholders from time to time. So how will EU-wide cooperation work at the level of the joint clinical assessments, the joint scientific consultations and the identification of emerging health technologies for the medtech sector under right. the HDA regulation? Right. So uh, again, that member state coordination group will, will make a lot of those decisions, especially its various um, subgroups. One of the things that's clear they want to develop fairly early on in the transition period is uh, methodological guidance documents for the group to adopt that will you know, define how in practice the, um, the joint clinical assessments, the joint scientific uh, consultations and so on are to be conducted in practice. Another thing to say, which is, is worth um, emphasizing, by the way, is when we talk about the joint clinical assessments and the joint scientific consultations, as we understand it, these will not automatically be a applies to all medical technologies. Some very specific types of medical technologies which will go through these processes automatically. The way the regulation is set up is that there's actually a fairly um, interesting link between the EU HTA regulation on the one hand and the sectoral MDR and IVD uh, on the other hand. What they say is that those medical technologies which will go through a joint clinical assessment are only those ones which have actually gone through a review by the MDR and IVDR expert panels. Okay, so that's a subset of devices and IVDs. It tends to be the higher risk innovative technologies and not all of them. So are it, we talking about the uh, products that go through the scrutiny process? Yes, what we what we colloquially still call the, the scrutiny process and what is technically called the clinical evaluation consultation procedure in the MDR or the performance evaluation consultation procedure. So things like uh, new class three implants, for instance, or um, class D IVDs that don't have a common specification, or um, I think the other category is 
it's a mouthful, active class 2B devices that administer medicines. So the, this was the specific medical technology types that they wanted to target, if you like, for the joint clinical assessments. They are the higher risk ones, the newer ones. If the member states want to cooperate on HTA for other medical technologies, they can, but they would do that as part of the voluntary piece. They wouldn't do that, uh, as I understand it, for the joint clinical assessments. So that much is already laid down in the regulation. That means that um, only, well, let's say some medical technology manufacturers are much more concerned by this regulation than others. What is the role and the relevance to the medtech industry of UNETA 21 and the heads of agencies groups for HTA? now? Right. Good good question. So, I mean, um, right now we're seeking more information about the role that the heads of agencies group will uh, play. It's a still a relatively recent announcement that this thing will exist. In general, however, we expect it will play a role in supporting the member state coordination group and ensuring that they are operationalized with the, you know, the resources they need. But it's a good question for the heads of agencies group to answer. Um, UNETA 21 is a bit easier to answer because its role is linked to a European Union tender that it recently won. Its role is to bring HTA agencies from the member states together to propose uh, potential approaches to assessment methodology. Okay, so it won a tender that lasts for two years until uh, September 2023. And it's already quite active this year with multiple work streams and stakeholder consultations planned, which which can be found on the UNESCO 21 website. So it will develop things like these you know, proposed assessment methodologies, but you won't see any reference in the regulation to UNETA 21. Its work will be one set of inputs for the member state coordination group to consider when implementing this regulation. So the coordination group could decide, for instance, to uh, apply in full what UNETA 21 proposes. It could apply some bits and not others, or it could completely ignore what UNETA 21 does. The, the legal role and responsibility to implement the regulation lies with the coordination group, not UNETA 21. So again, it comes back to who is going to be in that coordination group. What is it they want to achieve? Oh, thank you for that explanation. So finally, are there any other observations that you would like to make about the future of HTA regulation in the EU and its impact on the medtech sector? I mean, Maybe the, just a final thought then, uh, I mentioned uh, a couple of questions ago that we see quite some direct interlinkages, if you like, between this EU HTA regulation on the one hand and our sectoral legislation, the MDR and IVDR on the other hand, which was quite interesting. The link is primarily to um, determine which medical technologies go through these joint clinical assessments. One of the things we've been quite clear about throughout the last you know, few years of legislative deliberations is we do want the worlds of HTA and CE marking to remain very much distinct and separate. We, we believe the the kind of safety and performance assessments that one does before a new device is placed on the market are fundamentally different from the value assessments one does afterwards to determine if a device is worth being paid for. You know, one, one is about does it do what it says on the tin and does it do it safely? <laughs> so should it be on the market at all? The other one is whether healthcare systems should actually purchase technologies. And these are very different um, things. The regulations recitals say very clearly that the HTA regulation is meant in no way to create overlaps or you know, bring these worlds together, which is good. 
and we want to see that really happening in, in practice. We do not want to see HTA considerations and considerations for the access and purchasing world to come into the CE marking world because that would dramatically affect the kinds of uh, evidence that manufacturers would have to develop pre-market. The good news is the European Commission unit responsible for the HTA regulation is the same one that is responsible for implementing the MDR and IVDR. They have stated many times that they are very serious about respecting what's in the regulations recitals and keeping those worlds separate. But it's one of the things we're going to be monitoring very, very closely to ensure that this is happening in practice. So an important thing even for the regulatory people in companies to be aware of, I would say, not just for the HTA and market access people. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all those insights into how the medtech industry is being impacted by the HTA regulation. Be very interesting to watch as things go forward and uh, as we have more developments, how exactly the sector will be affected. Thank you, Oliver.